welcome to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled television shows of the science fiction, horror, and fantasy genres. I'm your host, Mr. Seneca. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And that you just heard is the Addams Family theme song from the 1990s cartoon. Not the show we're reviewing, but I played it anyway. Uh, today we're actually going to be reviewing uh, Uncle Fester's Illness and the Addams Family Splurges. And this is uh, episodes, what is it, Dr. Chris? Episodes 19? It's episode 18, 19. All right. Should we do the focus area now? Yeah. All right. So today's focus area is on Thing. His full name is Thing, Thing, Thing. Thing, T, Thing. Uh, Charles Adams once said that his spirit, he thought, was quote, a protest against the conformity of all that, uh, that overwhelms us all. So Thing is a hand in the television show and in the movies and everywhere else you see him. But did you know, Dr. Chris, that Thing has a head? Yeah, we went over this. It's, it's the actor who plays Lurch. <laughs> well, yes, yes. In reality, yes. But uh, the actual character of Thing was a small little person. It wasn't an actual hand. It was a full person uh, that we basically nickname it the peeker or the peeper. Uh, uh, If you look at the Charles Adams Family cartoons, you'll notice the peeker uh, basically is a person of indeterminate detail that watches the family from afar, over banisters, at their feet, over ledges, from windows or ceiling panels. Uh, the little person might be just a small person or, like, scrunched up and hiding. Or it could be someone that doesn't necessarily have that much of a torso. You can't see a lot of the person, but there's nearly 30 cartoons and comic book covers with that character. Uh, sometimes the peeker is there, but you don't really notice it at first. It's like, I think it gives the cartoons a little bit more eerie appeal. So... Th- the more you look at it, the more you notice. Uh, the peeker was there in the first cartoon with Morticia, Lurch, and the house in a cartoon featuring a vacuum salesman in August, on August 6, 1938. Uh, and he was just kind of peering out from the banister. The description that Charles Adams gave Filmways was that the thing is often observed watching the family through the balustrades of the balcony over the living room. We don't know quite who or what he is, but whatever, he is the soul of good nature. At least, he grins perpetually and may occasionally whimper. So the TV show basically created the hand thing, uh, with little evidence in the cartoons. The the actual cartoons that feature a thing as a hand, uh, I found the one that everyone points to, which is the, um, an arm out of a, a Victrola phonograph case basically playing records. And that was from March 20th, 1954. Uh, but we also have an arm poking out a long tube uh, in front of the whole family while they look at obituaries and crash pictures. And this was actually published on the uh, inside a publication called Page One, which was used to honor the newspaper Guild of New York. And as a cover, and that's May 20th, 1949. Other than those two actual depictions of the hand thing, 
thing was this peeker guy. He wasn't actually a hand. Uh, the Beware the Thing sign in front of the house, which we do see in the opening credits, was November 10th, 1945. And, um, yeah, it was created purely for the television show. So Thing, I think, is a member of either the slave class or the pet class. And, you know, I'll, I'll explain that one. I don't list Thing as a servant because of the implication of a servant is that it's a, a person that gets paid. Like, Lurch probably gets paid for what he does. But Thing does not. Uh, Thing could not go out and buy stuff for himself if he wanted to. But we know that he's not the only one of his species because uh, in a further episode, we see that uh, uh, Gomez's Aunt Millie, who is royalty, has lady fingers. And then we also see a picture of Thing's parents, uh, who also served the Adams household in, a, in another episode in the future. Uh, Gomez had things since he was a child, and uh, y so I, I'm leaning towards the pet class of, of creature, you know, but since he's got uh, very much a sentience, maybe slave? I don't know. How much money does Lurch get paid, do you think, in 1964? Five or 1965 now, right? Uh, 1965, yeah. Um, How much did a butler make in 1965? Let's look that up. How much did a I'm assuming a butler of any butler would be, you know, if you could afford a butler, then you can. How much did Alfred get? I mean, Alfred, uh, Alfred was butlering a, a stately Wayne Manor at this time, wasn't he? I believe so, yes. How much did a butler make in 1965? I don't know if it'll give that, but at least we can come up with something. Uh... Well, in 1964, $1 back then would be about eight dollars and thirteen cents today okay so in 1966 which is basically it updates like every three years or something like that uh it's about five thousand dollars is what somebody would average would make on average income okay and then times that by uh maybe i mean that's an average income so the adams family are clearly rich um, they're wealthy. They're very wealthy. So I gotta assume Lurch is making twice as much as that. Maybe he's making ten grand. So that would be good about eighty to ninety thousand dollars in today's money. Hmm. I guess that's pretty good. Also, the fact that he gets to live at the mansion, you know. Yeah, he lives in the attic. <laughs> um. So Lurch would be making about five, anywhere from five to ten grand. All right. Yeah, and and we do see that Lurch goes out and he does things. Yeah, so he might get extra money for babysitting the children or doing the, you know, taking care of, like, groceries and yeah. being the chauffeur, because he's also the chauffeur. But we do know that he doesn't do laundry. <laughs> it, it, it always, yeah, he doesn't do laundry. It always, I, I've always wondered how much, because it's, I, I, God, I read a lot of Batman comic books, but I cannot remember them ever saying how much money does Alfred make off of Bruce Wayne. But he's been like, but he's, he wasn't just Bruce Wayne's butler. He was also Martha and Thomas Wayne's butler. Yeah, and then he became the guardian and caretaker, so. Yeah, he became the, because Bruce had no next to kin. He had an uncle. I mean, that's more of a retcon. Today's episode is Uncle Fester's Illness. Originally aired January 22nd, 1965. Lately, Uncle Fester's been a bit run down, literally unable to maintain his wattage. Since Dr. Mabogo. Dr. Mabogo 
the reliable family witch doctor is too busy to leave Africa, the Adamses must take their chances by engaging the services of a local physician who pays them a house call. In this one, he's like, uh, Fester's running the train system, you know, his, his uh, toy trains, and uh, he suddenly can't power the water jet anymore. But did you notice, Dr. Chris, of how Gomez responds to that? So he says, Go, uh, Fester says, uh, I think I have an emotional wattage seepage. And Gomez says, what a way to go. Fester then replies in this very kind of hurt way, oh, don't make fun of me, Gomez. And Gomez, in response, has this moment where he says, I'm sorry, really. And that look on, on John Aston's face as he says that, it's meaning that there is sincerity there. And in this show, they don't really do a lot of poking fun or you know, fighting with one another at all. And for Fester to get hurt and for Gomez to respond in a sincere and kind way, I think that uh, was one of the high points of this entire episode for me. Shows that compassion. Yes, because they were yeah. going to explore a new cave and Fester right, was going right. to light the way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, so Pugsley has a new cave he wants to explore with Fester, um, but he's not really feeling well. And then we switch over to Lurch and the Thing playing the piano together. Yes. But Thing's being a smartass, and uh, and uh, Morticia says, nobody likes a smart thing. <laughs> and he pouts and goes away. They mention where they went to, uh, they went on honeymoon at Niagara Falls, and uh, Morticia says that it was uh, the best shower she ever had, because they obviously bathed in Niagara Falls. Yeah. <laughs> In a small cave behind the falls. Did you ever, uh, have you been to Niagara Falls? I haven't, but I'll be going soon, this summer. Oh, is that your, uh, you're getting married this summer, right? Well, that was the original plan, but now we're going to a, a family reunion. <laughs> oh, okay, so you're going to a family reunion at Niagara Falls? Uh, it's in Canada, but we're driving through Niagara Falls, so we're making a stop over there. Oh, excellent, excellent. Me and my mom. Excellent. So as Gomez is bringing out uh, flashlights uh, to light the way so they could continue due to the cave, he goes into the local dress, you know, chest of drawers, and he brings out like seven or eight flashlights, these gigantic flashlights. I think that's supposed to be a visual, um, a visual pun, you know, a la vaudeville. Keeps bringing out flashlight after flashlight, and then he pulls out a cigar from a flashlight, a lit cigar from a flashlight. Definitely vaudeville. Was uh, did John Aston actually smoke those? Uh, he smoked them for the show, but he wasn't a smoker. Okay, so he did not get an addiction. Correct, not to my knowledge. Um, Zelda is the vulture. Uh, Zelda Vulture, and in fact, like more, uh, uh, Carolyn Jones really developed a, an affinity for that vulture. Uh, she would, you know, kind of coo at it lovingly. There's some stories about her, um, you know, having fun with the vulture. But it was a, a senior uh, by the time it became on the show. Are vultures easy to tame? I don't think so. I wasn't sure. I mean, certain birds you can tame, you know, certain animals you can tame and train, but I didn't know if a vulture you could. We have turkey vultures all over the place here in Massachusetts. I don't know. I think you'd have to raise it from a chick for one. And, uh, you know, 
you can train hawks and all that so i suppose you could train a vulture depending on the methodology so they call a doctor to come over and examine fester fester eats the thermometer which is basically filled with mercury and of course the glass itself yes uh the doctor says it contains one ounce of mercury thermometers do not contain one ounce of thermometers contain about 0.3 to 4 grams but you should not be eating mercury I wonder what he's actually eating, but even though I know the uh, sound effect of the crunching glass is plugged in. I think it was like a lollipop or something. Oh. Yeah, uh, so if, if he was to actually eat the mercury, you can eat mercury. It's, it's more dangerous to you if you inhale mercury, uh, but it does give you some uh, mercury poisoning. It affects the brain. Uh, I've got a, a little factoid for you guys. So, while mercury is not readily absorbed through the digestive tract, the vapors of it uh, emit off the mercury at room temperature. Mercury was used to process the felt in hats in the 1800s, and so therefore the phrase, mad as a hatter, came about because of the mercury poisoning. Um, oh, I thought that came from uh, Alice in Wonderland. Uh, no, the phrase was there before it was used for Alice in Wonderland. Oh, okay. My next guess was going to be is that it was the phrase used in the Batman series. <laughs> before that, before that. Um, we actually have, uh, so the, uh, where I live, where you're coming on Saturday, is surrounded by the Framingham Water Reservoir, and there's signs posted throughout them that not do not fish. The fish have mercury in them. That's terrible. <laughs> so the fish have mercury from the power plant? Uh, I gotta assume, like, the hydroelectric plant probably gave him mercury, maybe. I mean, it's probably safe for us, but the fish are not to be digested that way. Because, again, this is the Framingham Reservoir of Water. Yeah. Well... This episode, we do see the moon bathing. Gomez's yeah. nice little uh, uh, vintage striped bathing costume. Doctor Milford. Uh, wait, which is the doctor? Which one's the doctor who examines uh, Fester? Uh, doctor Milford. Doctor Milford. Okay. Loyal dot. There's loyal Doc Lucas, played by loyalty Lu loyalty Lucas. Loyalty Lucas? That's the name of the actor. Loyalty Lucas plays Loyal Doc Lucas. Huh. That's his name. Uh... Yeah, okay, so Lauren Gilbert uh, was uh, on The Addams Family previously. Oh, which one? I missed that. I'm sorry, she wasn't. Okay, this is the only episode she was in, but she was also in Westworld. Uh, she played... Somebody in Westworld, not it just says supervisor. Uh, she was also on Perry Mason and Bewitched and uh, a series called Hazel, which I've seen come up before. I don't know anything about Hazel. George Baxter was a highly successful corporate lawyer who was always in control of everything in the office, but almost nothing at home. When he returned from the office at day's end, he gets a new maid named Hazel. It's like the you know oh wow ran for like 154 episodes you know it's one of those um start shirley booth 
Uh, it's one of those, like, the maid, the butler, the servant knows better than everyone else on the show kind of thing. Okay. After that little bit of mercury, uh, Fester feels right as rain. I guess that's all it takes to cure him. Yeah, I mean, his tongue is bright blue. He's got a temperature of below, uh, three below zero. He eats walnut shells and sour milk. Somebody asked the question, are the Adams family dead? Ooh, good question. Are they the living dead? Are they are they ghouls? Are they supernatural beings? They have to be supernatural beings in some ways. Um, I mean, in the in the trailer for the upcoming animated movie, uh, Morticia has all those spiders coming out from underneath her dress. Yeah, she doesn't do any of that, or is there some proof of that? But in the show, she does light fire. She has yeah. a spontaneous combustion element. Right. Whereas, like, on the monsters, we know that they're monsters. I mean, God, Grandpa's Dracula. Yeah. yeah. And, and Herman's the Frankenstein monster, domesticated. You know, the, the son's a werewolf. You know, we know that they're monsters. Uh, are the Adams family dead? I think... I guess it would really have to depend on your definition of a supernatural creature. Because they are a family, and could they transcend normal everyday life when they connect with the Adams family, say they become an honorary cousin, could they transcend that and then jump into a supernatural existence as the ghost that lives in the urn by the, the door, you know? Do we know if um, any of the Adams family relatives were like witches, warlocks, voodoo, priestess, you know, witch doctors or anything like that? They, they have said a few were. Yeah. Um, I mean, it reminds me of uh, Thor trying to pull one over on his mother in um, some type of flashback I may be talking uh, are, about. Are you going to make a spoiler now? No, 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 no. You're not supposed to actually acknowledge what it's what I'm possibly spoiling. But, uh, uh, you know, somebody has a ancestry of being raised by witches. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, was like, I was like, wait. She, really? Freya it was raised by witches? That's interesting. <laughs> I, I believe that might be accurate. But that makes a lot of sense con considering what, uh, who of her two sons did she teach all of her parlor tricks to? Loki. Loki. Not Thor. That was uh, that was something that always stuck with me. It's like when early on we learned that, uh, you know, Loki learned all of his magic tricks from his mother. And it's like, why did she teach him? Why? How did she? Did, what is her backstory? Where did you know? Where did she learn her stuff from? Oh, she was raised by witches. I'm sure you could go through Norse mythology and get more information on that. Probably. I don't think that's 100 percent accurate, but I don't know a lot about Freya, so. Oh, I think uh, it's we're about time for to take a break for some sponsors. Yep. Yes, or something. Uh, we'll be back with the next episode of the Dead TV Podcast, episode 19, uh, The Adams Family Splurges. This program is sponsored by Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts. Located on 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell him Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. And we're back with the Dead TV Podcast with the Adams Family Splurges. 
The Addams Family Splurges, originally aired January 29, 1965. The Addams Family hopes to vacation on the moon, but needs to raise a billion dollars. Using Gomez's new supercomputer, the family schemes to make the money by betting on horse races. That's a sound money-making venture. Yeah, but uh, their luck never seems to die, so... The only luck that they don't have is the bad luck of their investment banker, Mr. Hewlin, who refused to place the bets and then owes them millions and millions of dollars before the day is out. That, uh, yeah, that, uh, boy, did that seem really stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if he had placed the $2,000 bet, like, they... they they spent some like pocket change of two thousand dollars. He had spent that on the races that he was going to. Not only would they have so much more money, and of course he would get a percentage. Uh, but what is there to prove to them about uh, even if they're even if the horse lost? What is the point? Uh, the episode was directed by Sidney Landfield, who directed 48 episodes of The Addams Family. I think we might have mentioned him before, but also directed The Hound of the Faskervilles, starring uh, uh, Razzle Rathbone. Basil Rathbone. Yeah, Sidney Landfield is going to appear on most of these, I feel like. Uh, episode was written by George Haight. I'm assuming that's, spell that's pronounced Haight, H-A-I-G-H-T. Um, directed a bunch of various stuff. Nothing that I'm familiar with, so not. Uh, and then Lou Huston was the other writer, according to IMDb, supposedly still alive today, even though the last thing he did was in 1974. Uh, Mr. Hewlin is played by Roland Winters, uh, who passed away in 1989, uh, but he was in Green Acres as Mr. The only good thing about Green Acres is when Zsa Zsa Gabor gets killed by Freddy Krueger in uh, one of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. But that's not really Green Acres. That's, that's Doesn't matter. <laughs> I was never a Zsa Zsa Gabor fan. I heard she was a horrible human being. Well, she did slap that cock. <laughs> that's not I heard she said a lot, too. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Mr. Winters also was on uh, the Red Skeleton Hour. Um, Perry Mason. I am not familiar with the Red Skeleton Hour. Every time I hear the Red Skeleton Hour, I think of the guy on Boromir. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, see, he was also on the Debbie Reynolds show. Uh, his career goes all the way back to Citizen Kane. Oh. As an uncredited newspaperman at Trenton Town Hall in 1941. Do you know what the last role that Orson Welles played? Was it a commercial? Nope. What? And uh, unfortunately, I'm not the one recording this, so I can't bring it up to play or whatever to plug it in. But uh, Orson Welles, the last thing he plays, he was the voice of the planet-gobbling Transformer Unicron in Transformers the movie. Oh, yeah, he did do that. The giant planet that devoured everything in its path to on its way to destroy Cybertron. 
Yeah, and he read it like once and then left the studio and then two weeks later died of a heart attack. When they had to do pickups, you know, ADR and stuff like that and redos of lines or whatever, Leonard Nimoy stepped in to uh, to uh, impersonate Wells' voice to for anything that Wells has just bumbled his way through. Because Wells was very much like Brando. He was a one-hit wonder, like a one-line wonder, you know, one one take only. Yeah, one take. That's it. I'm done. Out. <laughs> or said out. <laughs> but he was. But the joke is the fact that he, when he died, he was over. He weighed over 300 pounds, and the fact that he played a planet that ate stuff was a little like. Uh, does anybody know? Anyone want to tell him? Uh, <laughs> uh, I think he knows. This episode of The Addams Family has them desiring to go to the moon, and this is set in a time before we actually went to the moon. Yeah, what year did we go to the moon? We went to the moon in uh, 1969. You know, 69, dude. Um, I can't believe I even asked that question, considering how many movies are out about the first landing on the moon right now. I mean, there's First Man starring um, uh, Ryan Gosling as Neil Armstrong, um, and then there's another one out there. I mean, there's a there's a there's a few of them. Well, the the Apollo program that actually sent people to the moon uh, closed its doors in 1972. So between 1969 and 1972, there's 12 people that actually land on the moon. Yeah, did you ever see that horror movie called uh, Apollo 19? Ooh, no, I haven't. It's the unknown uh, 19th mission to the moon, and uh, there's aliens up there. Or if you watch Transformers Dark of the Moon, uh, Buzz and Neil had to walk to the dark of the moon to find a downed Autobot spacecraft. <laughs> and Buzz Allred actually played himself in the movie in the present day talking to Optimus Prime. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it's like of all the movies to appear in, Buzz, all the movies somebody could have cast you in, it was Transformers, The Dark of the Moon. Yikes. <laughs> so, you know, if they were going to take their little moon trip, uh, you know how long it would take to get there? A few months. Uh, no, actually. Uh the Apollo 11 launched July 16th, 1969, and it landed July 20th, 1969. And trips uh, after that one uh, closed that window of time. So they could get there in, in roughly a couple of days. Oh, okay. I'm, 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 I must be thinking of uh, Mars. I'm, Mars. In, in the Martian, they, they, um, the science in the Martian, they said, is really smart about how long it would take to get to Mars, you know? I love that movie. Love I thought movie. it was very well done. I thought it was the act with the time, with not, not time travel, but the space travel, how long it takes to get there. You know, what he, what he has to do to live. <laughs> how many different ways can you eat a potato? That is actually a funny joke for vegans. Anybody who's had a heart attack is, uh, you know, suggested to go on like a crash vegan diet. Kevin Smith and Penn, Penn Gillette did. And they went on, like, a potato diet for, like, months. <laughs> Potatoes are quite healthy if you don't slather it in oil. Right. So Kevin Smith had to come up with, like, a dozen different ways to eat a potato because he had meat taken away from him after his heart attack last year. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the, the time it takes to 
get to the moon is one thing, but also the cost. And that's what this episode is really focusing on. So they say, according to their computer Wizzo, that the trip is going to cost uh, $1,021,013. How much is it going to cost Richard Branson to go to the moon? Remember Richard Branson? He wants to go to the moon, right? Yes, and I have figures on that. <laughs> Good. I also want to point out before you get to Richard Branson's figures that uh, in the Adams Family musical, what is it that Uncle Fester wants to marry? Oh, he wants to marry the moon. He loves right. the moon. Yeah. He doesn't want to marry the man in the moon for anybody thinking it's going there. He wants to marry the moon itself. Yes. So uh, the, co- the cost of the trip that they estimated was in today's money $8,130,000,000 and such. So a the cost of a trip to the moon today uh, is actually about $750 million per person. Oh, uh, yes. I just have that sitting in the bank right now. <laughs> yeah, Branson does, for sure. Uh, but the real cost would be the time and energy it would actually take to get to the moon. Um, because all those pieces would have to be specifically manufactured. You know, There's no real one-off. Uh, space cruisers yet, so a lot of that would be custom parts. $750 million. Mm. So, in order to raise the money, Gomez has a brilliant idea, which is an, a legit idea. He's like, I've got it. We'll invent something that costs a dime to make, sells for a dollar, and is habit forming. That is a legit business tactic, and I think they call that meth. <laughs> you got about it's about uh, uh breaking yeah but i'll be honest as much as i like brian cranston i i have not watched breaking bad oh great show um my son loves him uh sorry i loved him in uh for his five minutes that he was in godzilla <laughs> uh which is relevant because we got the new one coming out soon Yes, a lot of people are excited about that. Um, so, placing bets. Have you ever gone to a horse race? I have not. We had a big horse race track here in Massachusetts, and it eventually got shut down. Um, but uh, I know a lot of people are really against horse racing because of the cruelty to animals and so on and so forth, and animals shouldn't be used in gambling. And it's a, uh, you know, it's still a thing. A lot of places in the South have still have horse races. They still have dogs. They still, unfortunately, have dog fighting, but uh, they don't. Uh, they do. They do have horse racing, and and because it's a sport, you know. I don't see anything wrong with it as long as the horses are treated correctly. I mean. Yeah, yeah. As, as long as all the animal protections are in place. Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with it. Dog racing, I. Just don't make them fight each other. Yeah, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with it. I mean, dogs like fun. Racing can be fun for an animal, too. I mean, if they're it, it, racing can be fun for an animal. Okay. Animals like fun. Animals like activity. You know? Yeah, so I'm not going to get into the, uh, the PETA the, the argument about it with anybody on the, uh, the message, you know, on our messaging, but I'm just saying that it, as long as certain things are met and done properly, there's nothing wrong with animal racing. Highest priority is protecting the animals. Electrical circuits. Uh, 
so all the horses win. So Wizzo uh, picked the horse races, and Wizzo, the computer, uh, picked all winners. And by the end of the day, uh, Mr. Hewlin would owe the Adams family $8,550,000 because he didn't place a bet, and he would be liable for that money. And in today's cash, that's about $69 million, uh, about uh, halfway to $70 million. So $69,515,000. That's a lot of money. More than their entire agency would probably have, I suppose. You're, you got sirens behind you, so I'd wait. It's funny, I could hear him before you could. <coughs> oh, that's why. Yeah, so his, uh, he would owe the Adams family about $69 million uh, if that last horse didn't actually win. I'm sure the uh, the Adams family act uh, so forgiving or so concerned about other people's health and well-being that he could have easily got his way out of that. I think so. If he had really fessed up at the first place, he would have not had any trouble at all. And I think even if he just confessed a little bit later in the day, going all the way to the end and then finally breaking down for that confession, I think Gomez would be angry with them and probably would have chosen a different investment uh, counselor, but they would have probably let him off the hook for the $8 million. Uh, which just seems like a drop in the bucket for the Adams family. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, like, if, if you think about it, if you can make $8 million in a day... There's, the sky's the limit for you. Gambling is a disease of a barbarian. I love that line. <laughs> I don't think barbarians gambled that much. <laughs> I, well, I don't know. Maybe they did. I don't Maybe. Know. I don't know. I mean, there was gambling in those Conan movies. True, but I think uh, Mr. Hewlin meant that remark as like a slight that anyone who gambled is just low class considering barbarians were low class. Like, no. Gambling's fun if you do it and you don't get addicted to it. Don't gamble anything that you can't expect to lose. That's all the notes I have for these two episodes of The Adams Family, including my uh, question about the, uh, which wasn't really part of the episode, but like, if they're dead or not, you know? That was something I'm wondering, because what they can do to themselves is basically just supernatural or superhuman. Yeah, yeah. Th there are moments that defy... <laughs> that that's an interesting question. Like, there's no factoids either way. Uh, they could be moving entities, but in my opinion, the Adams family has always existed, and they always will exist. So, in that little bubble that is the canon in my head, uh, they are an eternal entity, as a family, just as they are. That's all the notes I have for today. And uh, we will... Uh, uh, I'm really looking forward to next week's episode, which we recorded a couple of days because you'll be here. Uh, the Cousin It. First appearance of Cousin It. Cousin It, yes. That's, uh, notes on I'm excited. Too. What was that? I have plenty of notes on him, too. 
On the day that you're hearing this, Friday, May 3rd, it is the day before Free Comic Book Day, May 4th. So go to your comp- local comic book store and pick up some excellent free comic books from IDW, Marvel, Image, uh, Archie, uh, Titan Books, uh, DC, Dark Horse. A whole bunch of free comic books will be available at your local comic book store. I'm going to the Hall of Comics. Hopefully that's entertainment. Harrison Comics in downtown Salem. And why would I be in Salem on May 4th? Because we, Mr. Zeneca and I... She will be accompanying me to the Vampire Ball at the Hawthorne Hotel on May the 4th. Be with you. The gear that I'll plug in. Many of your local free, many of your local comic book stores that are doing free comic book day will also probably have some artists, guest uh, writers, artists there from the comic book industry. Uh, one person in particular who's going to be at the comic book store that we're going to is Bob Layton, best known for his incredible run on Iron Man. Why would that be very relevant to today? No spoilers. <laughs> uh, Bob Layton is best known for the uh, the run where Iron Man has like the gold and red armor, the red like torso armor with the golden arms and legs, very similar to what you see in the most recent movie. Um, but uh, he uh, he was working on the title during a uh, the Demon in the Bottle storyline, as well as the uh, Doctor Doom Iron Man crossover where they go to meet uh, uh, King Arthur and Morgan Le Fay. So. I'm really looking forward to meeting Bob and getting some books signed by him at the Hall of Comics. Uh, you can check us out on the Dead TV Podcast Facebook page, also at Elegantly Kinky and Christy SAV on Twitter. And don't forget to please leave a rating for us on iTunes if you could, and on Stitcher and Google Play. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the Dead TV Podcast covering the Adams Family. Have a good night. Mm-hmm.